Uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's really wonderful to see you. Happy New Year to you all. I know it's January 7th. I don't know when to stop saying Happy New Year. I don't know when's the cutoff date. Uh, it's the 10th, the 15th. You know, I'm just every day, all of January. Happy New Year to you. All right, so uh, we are going to be in a new series called Missio Day, Following the Missionary God, Following the Missionary God. And this, this series, it's going to span over about five, six weeks, and it's important to us uh, and for us as a church because it's going to lay down some theological and biblical groundwork for us as we think about what does it mean for us individually and as a church community to be on mission, that there are new seeds of mission that God wants us to, uh, to plant and to water, and so this is laying down the groundwork to see our lives more outwardly focused or more intentionally so. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I, I looked at the past three years of sermons that we've given, that I've given in particular, and over the past 150 sermons or so, about 10 of them focused exclusively on mission. Now, at every sermon, there's stuff having to do with mission and such, but about 10 of them were exclusively on mission, and that was a really no, low number for me. And so what I wanted to do in 2018 was to place a, a greater emphasis to balance our diet, as it were, so that we're not just thinking about connecting in community and growing in our personal formation, but we're also actively engaged on mission, seeing ourselves as those who are on mission with Jesus. And so for the next five, six weeks, we're going to be looking at that, and then we go into the Lenten see, uh, season where we're going to talk about the cross and focus specifically on that, and then we focus on Easter, and after Easter, we'll focus more on missional kind of engagement in the world for us individually and us as a church. So just give you a heads up as to where we're going for the year in terms of our biblical and preaching diet here. And what I want you to see over the next few weeks is that the Bible consistently shows us a God who is always on mission and invites us to follow him into it. And we're going to see that explored over the next few weeks. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4, one of my favorite passages to get us uh, in the kind of missional imagination following this missionary God. Uh, Jeremiah 1, beginning in verse 4, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, then said, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. This is God's word for all of us in this room. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us illumination and revelation as we look at this passage in Jeremiah today. And Lord, may we find ourselves in the story, and Lord, may we follow you into mission in 2018. We offer this time to you, it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. 
I want to begin with a very simple question for you this morning. Do you see your life as one that is on mission? Do you see your life as one that is on mission? One of my college friends has a couple of questions that he asks when he wakes up in the morning and he posts this question from time to time on social media, on Instagram. And every time he does it, it reminds me of the call that God has for Christians and followers of Jesus. He asks these two questions. God, what are you up to? And then he asks, how can I help? What are you up to? And how can I help? And I love these two questions because it assumes two important truths. Number one, that God is always up to something. And number two, that he always invites us to join him. Now, when we wake up in the morning, those are not usually the questions we ask. The questions we ask are probably like, can I get 10 more minutes to sleep? Or how can I get out of work today? Or those are the questions that we are typically asking. We don't typically wake up with a kind of missional imagination. And what complicates uh, this for us is we often think that the center of God's mission and the center of God's activity is often found within the four walls of a religious structure, kind of like what we're, where we're in right now. And so instead of living intentionally on mission with those two questions, God, what are you up to and how can I help? We live what one person called a kind of temple spirituality, a temple spirituality. That is that we limit God's mission and God's activity to the four walls of a religious structure. Now, in Bible times, the temple was an incredibly important thing. It was a great thing. It was the place where heaven and earth would meet. It was the place of God's presence among his people. Therefore, if someone wanted to encounter God, they knew exactly where to go. They would go to the temple because that is the meeting place of heaven and on earth. And many of us have a kind of temple spirituality as well, where we confine the limit of God's mission and his activity to what happens in a building on a Sunday morning. Now, of course, our gatherings on Sunday are important. There's a unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. We hear the gospel proclaimed. We take the bread and the cup together. And so when we gather together, this is incredibly important. The problem is when we begin to limit the realm of God's action to the temple, as it were. Now, growing up, I had a temple spirituality because uh, the church I attended communicated this as such. You had the church was open for services five to six times a week. That and that message communicated that if you want to meet God, you better come here. And so you had the the men's service on Wednesday, the women's service on uh, on Tuesday, the young adult service on Friday, the the older folk service on Saturday, three services on Sunday. There was about twenty people in the church, but we're going to meet every single day just like this. And what it communicated was, if you want to meet God. You have to come to this space. But when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus does not have a kind of temple spirituality. Why? Because Jesus was the temple. Jesus was the place where heaven and earth met. Jesus was the presence of God. Jesus was the temple, but he was a missional kind of temple, always on the move, always going. And what you'll see consistently in the life of Jesus is the vast majority of his miracles took place not inside the church, but outside of it. 
And so Jesus is a kind of temple on wheels. He's kind of moving all over the place. And what is surprising and shocking throughout the scriptures is the scriptures calls the church the temple of the Holy Spirit. That us collectively and us individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what that means, hear this, we are to be the meeting place of God's presence. We are to be the place where heaven and earth meet. That when we gather together and when we are alone individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's Bible language right there. We are to be the meeting place of heaven and earth. That is to say when someone encounters a Christian individually or when someone encounters us in our community, there is a unique manifestation of the presence of God that is to be a tangible reality in our lives. We are to be the temple that's on mission. And so in our lives together and individually, we're called to be a meeting place of heaven and earth. And so our lives are to be called on mission. Our our lives are to be on mission because we follow this missionary God. And all of us have a mission in this room. All of us at our home, we have a mission. In our workplace, we have a mission. In our schools, we have a mission. In our neighborhood, we have a mission. And collectively as a church, we have a mission as a church in our life together. And the way we serve the poor and the marginalized. And the way we proclaim the gospel to our neighbors. And the way we serve our city. We all have a part to play in God's mission. The challenge is God invites us to go on mission. And we often say no. And this is what we see with Jeremiah. From the beginning of Jeremiah, we notice something immediately about the character of God. And that is this, that God is always searching for people to join him on mission. God is consistently searching for people to join him on mission. The Holy Spirit right now is searching this room for people who's going to join him on mission. Verse 5, the first verse I read, the second verse I read is beautiful because we learn something about God, about God's character, and it is this, that God knows us and waits for us to come into existence. Verse 5, it says, God says, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Get this, you have been on God's mind for a very long time. For billions upon billions upon billions of years, God has had you in mind, waiting with bated breath for you to come into existence so that you can join him in mission for the restoration and the redemption of the world. And so in every generation, God has his eyes on people, and he's looking to invite them to follow him into mission. And God is looking for people that no matter where he goes, they say, I want to follow. Now, having a three-year-old in the house, is, is, is prop- this, this truth here gets manifested very quickly and applied in our home, where I have a son who's in a stage right now where he's my shadow. He, everywhere I go, he's there. And his favorite question to me is, where are you going? I mean, I, I was in the TV room, I was in the living room, and then I walked three steps. Where are you going? I'm, I'm the bathroom, so I'm going to the bathroom. How long are you going to be? And I just like, what do you want from my life? He's my shadow. 
And as a parent, it's exhausting. I got to tell you, it is exhausting for this lovely, cute little boy to be following me everywhere I go. Now, for a parent, it's exhausting. But for God, it's exhilarating. God wants somebody who's going to say, where are you going? What are you up to? Can I come? Can I be with you? Can I go with you place? That God is exhilarating. That's the kind of person that God wants following him all around. And so God says, I've known you. I've known you for years upon years, billions of years I've known you. I formed you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he says, I have sent you. I'm calling you to go on a mission. Now, I want to give kind of a a, a large picture, theological, like, what is this mission? We all have a mission, but God has a mission. And it's important for us to to take our mission and submit it under God's mission. To take your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, all might be great things. You are to take those things, your personal mission, and submit it under God's mission. And what's God's mission all about? Let me give a, a kind of a big 30,000-foot perspective. God's mission means the committed participation of God's people in the purposes of God for the redemption of the whole creation. This is what God, God says, I have a mission, and I'm inviting you to come into it. The mission is God's. The marvel is that God invites us to join him. Good words from Christopher Wright. Listen, God has a mission for the redemption of the whole creation. That's a pretty big mission. And God says, I don't want to do it without you. God essentially says, God has organized the world in such a way where he says, I need you to join me. I don't want to do it alone. What a, what a holy, mysterious, remarkable call that God has on our lives. And so whether, whether we are living out this mission as a parent whether we're living out this mission as an evangelist or a missionary, whether we're living out this mission as a teacher or as a lawyer or whatever sector of society we're in, in our particular local areas of mission, we are joining God in the redemption of the entire creation. And so there's no mission that's too small and there's no mission that's too great. We all play a part in the mission of God to restore The whole creation is magnificent. And yet God calls Jeremiah into this mission. He says, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to respond to this. And Jeremiah has some things to say about it. God calls Jeremiah because the people around him, God's people, have gone their own way. Jeremiah is surrounded by a world that has not submitted itself to God's rule and to God's way. And consequently, the world was unraveling right before Jeremiah's eyes. The world around Jeremiah was falling apart. People were following idols. There was no moral compass. They were making a mess out of the world. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet, because of the heartache that he saw day in and day out. Jeremiah saw the disobedience and the shallow spirituality of the people of God. He saw the violence that filled the entire earth. He saw the self-centeredness that described the culture of the day. His world was falling apart. And just like Jeremiah, many of us, when we look at our world, we often want to weep. 
When we look at the pain of our world, like Jeremiah, it can be depressing. When you look at the global tensions that exist in our world, the threat of nuclear war, the ongoing pain in Puerto Rico and places like that, the opioid crisis around the country, the rampant sexual brokenness in our culture, the poverty that many experience, the racial hostility that never seems to end. It feels often like our world is falling apart. And as we look into our personal world, that's just the global, when we look into our personal world, it's often discouraging as well. When you see hurt in our lives and brokenness and we see family members with addictions and broken marriages and conflicts and hurt, it can be overwhelming. And the issue before Jeremiah was overwhelming and yet God called him into it. And the issues before us are often overwhelming and yet God calls us. And so where do you see hurt? Where do you see brokenness? Where do you see sin? It is into these places where God calls us into mission. And God tells Jeremiah, he says, I have sanctified you. I have set you apart. I appointed you. And those two words there, I, I've sanctified you. And then the word there is, I ordained you. I appointed you. And those words are incredibly important. To be sanctified means God saying, I set you apart for special use. Whenever a holiday comes along, there's some dishes that there's special use. We take those special dishes out. God says, you're not the paper plates. You're the nice stuff. I have set you apart for a particular purpose. And then he says, I have appointed you. I've appointed you. That is, God has given all of you in this room a set of gifts, a set of experiences, a set of passions, some setbacks, some weaknesses, some ups and some downs. God has given all of this to us. And he says, with all that I've given you, I want you to take that, your gifts, your passions, your experiences, your strength, your weakness, and I want you to offer it up to me in mission. God gives Jeremiah this affirming word. It's encouraging word. And you would think Jeremiah would say, thank you. I really appreciate you thinking so highly of me. When do we start? When, when, how much am I going to get paid? And when do we start? But instead of saying, when do we start? Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak. And I'm too young. Now, scholars say that Jeremiah is about 20 years of age. He's a young guy. And he recognizes that he doesn't have the experience to do what God has called him to do. And so he starts protesting against God. I can't do it. Essentially, he says that his deficiency has eliminated him from this mission. But the good news is just because you're deficient doesn't eliminate you from God's mission. And Jeremiah's protest speaks to a couple of issues that we need to learn how to overcome. Listen, Jeremiah essentially said, I'm too young. I don't have the experience. And what we see God says later for your protests, I have something else for you. And what this shows us, at least a couple of things, is that God's mission is open to anyone of any age in the kingdom of God. And God's mission is open to anyone of any experience in the kingdom of God. And some cultures... Old age is the only way that you can be used of God. And young people just have to wait their turn. 
In other cultures, you get to a certain age and they say, there's no more use for you. Make room for the young people. And the kingdom of God says, no, whatever age you are, you are invited to join God on this mission. But Jeremiah says, no, I can't do it. And we often say no as well. We often have our excuses as to why God can't use us, as to why God can't work through us. We say, Lord, I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I don't speak English well enough. I've never done it before. I have too many sins. I have too many doubts. And we we give God a running list as to why God can't use us, as to why God can't work powerfully through our lives. And what I love about this passage is God doesn't say, fine, I'll find someone else. God keeps coming at Jeremiah. Jeremiah protests, and this is what God says. The Lord said, do not say, I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And God reminds Jeremiah, and this passage reminds us, that God doesn't call the qualified, that God always qualifies the called. And when you look at the entirety of the Bible, God has a habit of using people who don't have it all together. Let me clarify that. God only uses people who don't have it all together, and they know they don't have it all together. He affirms and empowers these kind of people. And when you know the stories of the scriptures and the people who God used, it's actually very encouraging that if God can use them, God might be able to use me as well. I like how one person captured the names and the struggles of people in the Bible. And when you look at the names and the struggles of people in the Bible, and we see how God used them with power, man, that's good, encouraging, affirming words. One person said it this way, Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. (laughs) And Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Noah got drunk. And Lazarus was dead. And God used all of these people... Listen, he was dead. He was dead. <laughs> Gone. And God used him. Hopping out of the grave just like that. And when you look at the entirety of the scripture, see, God has a way of using people with deficiencies. God only uses people who have a sense of deficiency. And so God says, Jeremiah, I'm calling you anyway. I know you're young, but I'm calling you anyway. And God essentially says, Jeremiah, you don't go alone. I'm going with you. And it's important to know that we we serve a God who's already on mission. God doesn't start the mission when we say yes. He's already on mission. And he invites us to follow him into mission. 
I was reading a book recently, uh, rereading it, by a guy named Philip Yancey, and he wrote a book called Finding God in Unexpected Places. And he writes uh, about a woman named Joanna Thomas. And as a student, uh, Joanna worked for a change in uh, apartheid in South Africa, kind of the segregation of, of South Africa. And after that was dismantled, she decided that she wasn't done, and she decided to tackle the most violent prison in South Africa, where there were tattooed, covered gang members who controlled the prison. Uh, prison authorities uh, looked the other way as these people would beat and even kill each other. And so she decided after apartheid was dismantled that she was called on a new mission. And she brought a, a simple message of forgiveness in this prison, simple message of reconciliation in this prison. She would organize small groups and got the prisoners to open up about the horrific details of their lives and their childhoods. She enlisted gang members uh, in a program to teach them how to resolve conflicts nonviolently. And the year before her visits, Philip Yancey writes that there were 279 acts of violence, and after she got there, there were only two. And so he wanted to get to the bottom of this. He wanted to know, what did you do? How did you do it? And how did this happen? And this was her simple response. She said, Philip, God was already in the prison. I just had to make him visible. God was already in the prison. I just had to make him visible. Christians don't bring God anywhere. We reveal where God already is. He was already there. I just had to make him visible. Now listen, not everyone is called to do ministry in a prison context like this. But what we are called to do is to make visible this invisible God who's already there. And whether you're doing it as a parent in your home or as a school teacher in your classroom, or in your, in your office cubicle and your particular department, or whether you're doing it in your neighborhood or in your school, God is already on mission, brothers and sisters. And what he invites us to do is to discern how he's moving and to make this God visible. And the reason why we can have confidence that wherever we step into, Whatever place, whatever room, whatever neighborhood, wherever we go, the reason we can have confidence that we can bear much fruit and that we can impact the world is because the way has already been prepared for us. This verse in Jeremiah is ultimately a verse that speaks about Jesus. This verse in Jeremiah is ultimately a verse that speaks about Jesus. And Jesus is the true Jeremiah. God sends Jesus into the world to execute his mission. Jeremiah, God says, I've sanctified you and I've appointed you. Jesus is the true sanctified one. Jesus is the true appointed one. God sanctified him and appointed him over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And when Jesus came... His mission was to destroy the works of the devil and to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And the truth is this, because Jesus has done his part of the mission, 
our mission becomes that much more possible. Why? Because Jesus has already done the hard work. Let me explain it this way in a bomb cyclone kind of a way. This past Thursday, we had our bomb cyclone. Kids were praying for no school on Wednesday. God heard their cries. My daughter was on her knees in intercession. I've never seen her pray like this before in my life. And then the bomb cyclone hit. And the wind is going all over the place. The snow was building up. And by about 5 o'clock or so, I did what many of you did. You took out the shovel. And I followed my father-in-law who wanted to, to shovel in front of his house and his driveway. And I followed him. I grabbed a shovel, and he grabbed the shovel. The issue was he grabbed a really big shovel, and I had a really small shovel. And so I'm trying to, I'm working hard. My back, Rosie's saying, bend your knees. I'm bending my knees and all that there. I'm, I'm almost, I'm close to 40 now, so I can't just do whatever I want to do anymore. And so I see my father-in-law with this massive yellow shovel, massive monstrosity of a shovel here, Home Depot kind of thing. And he is on the sidewalk working it. Just boom, just that, 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 boom. I mean, big. and so what I decide to do is I want to help him. And so I get right behind him with my little shovel. He has the big shovel. I got the little one. I'm right behind him. And he, he'd get 90% of it out the way. Boom. And I come with the 10%. Bam. 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 <laughs> and he's, but he doesn't know I'm behind him. Boom. And I'm just like, ah, bam. I, I got you. I got you, Pops. I got you. I got you. And as I'm typing yesterday, I'm thinking about the bomb cyclone, thinking about Jeremiah, I think, oh, this is what Jesus does for us. The reason our mission is possible is because he's done all the heavy lifting already. There was a bomb cyclone of sin that Jesus just shoveled off because he died on the cross and resurrected. He made a path for us. And, and what, you know what our job as Christians to do is to go right behind them with our little thing here and there. And in our love and in our joy and in our peace and in our workplace, he's already done the hard work. Take your little shovel and get behind Jesus and and do what you need to do. Because he's already done the hard work, brothers and sisters. He's defeated sin and death. He resurrected from the grave. He defeated the evil one and his... He's already done the hard work. Our task is to follow. He's made a way already. And this God says, this is my mission. He's already done the mission and says, are you going to follow me? There's still work to do. There's still pain in the world. Are you going to follow me? And our job is to do what we can wherever God has placed us and whatever mission field we're in. And whether that mission field is being a stay-at-home parent or whether that mission field is to be an evangelist preaching on the streets, wherever, wherever you're at, God is essentially saying, follow me there. Because there's no mission that's too small, and there's no mission that's too great. Because Jesus has already done the hard work. And so he says, follow me. He says, I've appointed you. I've sanctified you. I've ordained you. I've called you. And he invites us to follow him. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. We're going to take communion. Jesus says, I've sanctified you. I've appointed you. 
And he says, I'm inviting you to, to go on mission, to be on mission. There's something specific that he's calling you to do, a specific task, a specific mission. He's given you some gifts and some experiences and some passions. And he's saying, are you going to use those gifts and experiences and passions to serve the greater mission of the kingdom of God, the restoration of the world, the redemption of the world? For many of us, like Jeremiah, we protest before God. We say, I can't do it. Too young. Too old. Not educated enough. Not smart enough. Don't have the connections. And yet time and time again, God says, all I'm looking for is someone who says, I'm available. Deficiencies and all. Limits and all but I'm available. I wonder what's the mission that God's put before you? Whether it's to patiently and lovingly parent at home, whether it's to create and shape community in your workplace, whether it is to proclaim the gospel on your college campus, whether it is to step out into new forms of leadership, whether it is to serve those who are overlooked and oppressed, whether it is to pray for the sick, what has God called you to? And the invitation is for us to say, Lord, I know I don't have my act together, but use me anyway. I'll follow. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to protest like Jeremiah did and say no to all the ways that you want to use us. But Lord, would you give us courage today? Would you fill us with your spirit and give us a vision to see what you want us to see courage to say yes. Holy Spirit, would you come? Pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's all stand together. I want to invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to your respective areas down here and up in the balcony. And we're going to close with taking communion. This is a great way to start off 2017. 2018, which is actually a good reminder for those of you, this is, this is from our treasurer, for those of you writing your gifts on checks, make sure you put 2018 on your checks to New Life Fellowship Church there. You can't process it. It's a great way to start 2018, by taking bread and reminding ourselves that God has made a way for us to come to the Father, and he's made a way for us to be on mission. So when you take bread and you dip it in the cup, you're being reminded of Jesus' mission, the extent of his love, and he invites us to be broken and poured out for the world as well. So when you take bread and dip it in the cup, 
you're essentially saying, Lord, may I be broken and poured out, given for the world, sent on mission wherever you want to send me. And may I say yes to you. And so I invite you to come forward, take bread, dip it in the cup, go back to your seat, and now lead us to take it together. But let's pray the prayer of confession. Michael, if you can put that on the, on the screen. Let's pray this prayer of confession together. Together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward.
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's all take together. Let's sing that chorus one more time for the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. That's what we need. We can't do this in our own strength, in our own will. We need the Holy Spirit to ignite something inside of us so that our lives will be broken and poured out for the sake of the world as we're on mission. Let's sing that together. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul. kick off this new year and sting this is all we have. Lord, burn something inside of us, Lord. One more time, let's sing this together. Lord, for our entire church. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. And next week I will be talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our, in our mission. And so uh, we need the Spirit's power. We need the Spirit's anointing. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need, we need every gift and resource of the Holy Spirit to be on mission. So we'll be exploring that uh, next week. But let me invite our prayer team to come forward. Listen, the reality of life is although we start a new year, challenges of the old year often just roll over. You heard about rollover minutes? This is rollover pain. It's just, it's just the same stuff. And we need to start off the year receiving prayer, receiving every uh, gift of God's Spirit in our lives. And this is why we close every service with a time of prayer for those who want to receive it. Because I recognize that life gets really difficult. Many of us have come in here with brokenness and with hurts and with pain. And we need God to touch us. We need God to heal us. We need God to fill us. And for many of us in this room, we also carry a deep sense of inadequacy that we can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And just like Jeremiah said, I can't. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And we all have our excuses as to why we can't, we can't, we can't. And yet God's word to us is, I know you can't. That's why I'm with you. I'm with you. 
I'll, I'll, I'll empower you. I'll strengthen you. I'll fill you. I'll heal you. I'll send you. I know you can't. That's why you're my candidate. Because if you thought you could, you'd do it in your own strength. But you can't. And I'm with you. That's God's word to us as we start off 2018. I'm with you. And so whatever, you know, so for some of you, you know God's assigned you particular tasks. He's asked you to do particular things, to have a particular conversation, to explore a particular leadership, to step out and serve in a particular, we all have our particular missions that we've said no to. And yet God is inviting us saying, I'm with you. I will empower you. I will strengthen you. And if you need someone to pray with you to just confirm that word in you, our prayer team is here. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. For those of you watching online, just wherever you're at, before your phone, before your laptop, just open your hands as well. And with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, saying yes to God's invitations to join him on mission. And wherever that mission is, may you say yes. And may the Holy Spirit fill you to overflow as you participate with Jesus in the restoration and the redemption of the world. I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said...